Thanks for staying with us. Revelation 14. Oh boy, there's a lot going on here. So let's just get to it. Revelation 14, the first five verses. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a loud sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who do not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths and they are blameless. Okay. Well, let's start with the contrast. Okay. A, a very sharp contrast that they would have picked up on. We don't tend to pick up on it. And so let's go back to their minds. For chapters and chapters now, we've had a dragon, a very dangerous serpent, that devil. And he's standing on the shore. He's been cast down to earth and he's standing on the shore. And now he and the beast, the sea beast and the land beast, Rome and the religion that backed it, are coming after you. But now, look over on Mount Zion. Here's your champion, a lamb, a lamb. Hmm, that's rather st stark and startling and upsetting, maybe even disappointing. This is, a, this is, this is gonna be quite the contrast. Greg Stevenson in his wonderful book, uh, The Slaughtered Lamb or A Slaughtered Lamb, does a, a great job with showing the contrast here and showing how this would have looked from their eyes. This is not going to be a John Ford Western where the cavalry rides in in the last couple of minutes and saves the day. You're not on your own. It's nobody's running to your rescue, it seems, but you're not on your own. But it seems cold comfort indeed that the one who is with you is a lamb. It seems to be weak and ineffectual. Whenever on the other side, you've got a dragon, the empire of Rome, and all of the religions that are allied with Rome and the emperor cult. Now, where this lamb is standing is quite important. Oh, a lot of ink has been used up in trying to identify Mount Zion as Jerusalem, or as a heavenly church, or as an earthly church, or as a different mountain, a different nation. That Let's just all settle down, especially those of you in back. Let's let everyone listen. Mount Zion is where God is, period. Just wherever God is, and he gathers the people to him. In fact, we see this. It's, it's, a, it's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place, which means it's a real place. I'll explain. Um, sometimes we think of physical things that we can see and touch. 
uh, feel, do the whole five senses thing. Those are the real things. And that spirits and God and that, those are ephemeral, they're out there somewhere, metaphysical. But the fact is we're only gonna spend a very short part of our lives as physical beings. And the rest of it's gonna be spiritual, at least as far as we can understand. So the spiritual is the real, the physical is the transient. As more than one person has said, we are not a spiritual being having a spirit, or a physical being having a spiritual moment. We are a spiritual being having a physical moment. This is where God is, therefore it is real. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, says that we've already gathered, we, you and I, all the faithful, have already been gathered by God on Mount Zion. All who have ever been faithful, all who ever were in communion with Christ, every saved person, living or dead, is already now there. We're here, but we're also there. And it's now, but it's also then. John Mark Hicks has just done the, uh, the yeoman's work on this, and he has put it into uh, books such as Come to the Table, and um, if, you, if you've not read any John Mark Hicks, you need to. He spends a, a good amount of time with this, actually, in Hebrews 12, about how whenever we take communion, for example, we are gathered with all of those who have gone before. Every faithful person is there as we're taking communion, as well as every living faithful person. They're all there and God is there and we are on Mount Zion, even though you might think you're in East Podunk little church with 12 people, or if you're under lockdown, you're just you and your family or you alone, you're not alone. You're on a mountain with God and that lamb. Uh, remember the lamb? Gotta remember the lamb. John the Revelator seems to have a real favorite psalm. Uh, he refers to Psalm 2 several times. Not directly, he's not quoting from it. Usually, there are words and phrases he might be pulling, but the imagery, he certainly is. And, and after you've listened to this, you know, just make a note to read Psalm 2. Um, maybe Psalm 76, which has a, a, a similar theme to it. It, what it's all about is that there is a war against God. All the nations rise against God, but God enthrones his king on old Mount Zion. And that's reality. The world can do what it wants to do. It can strut all it wants to strut. Watched a documentary yesterday about the development of the Volkswagen Beetle. Um, no, I'm not, it's not really a documentary. It's more of a, right? James May, if you know James May, um, a, a British smart guy uh, who did a car show for a very long time there with uh, Jeremy and Richard. Uh, it was great, great car show. But he also does other shows for the BBC. And one of them is a series called The Cars of the People. But you watch the development of this car and you see the people around and they're strutting like Benito Mussolini, you know, and they're strutting like this and they're 
we are all powerful and no, they're not. All gone. Mount Zion remains. So Psalm 2 and Psalm 76, you may want to have a look at that. Then as John's looking at this and he sees the Mount Zion thing, he also hears a new song. I love this passage because I enjoy taking it out of context. Um, whenever you work with any group of religious people, somebody's going to say, oh, I wish we sang the old songs. And whenever you bring in a new song, they're going to say, why are we bringing in a new song? I didn't like the new song. Well, guess what? I have really rigid lines of songs I like and songs I don't. Most of the time, I won't tell you which one's which. I, I'm not a big fan of saying the same phrase 500 times. I'm not a big fan of the great orchestra um, going, going all choir mode or all rock star mode, but they're not singing to me. They're doing this for Jesus. And so it's up to him, not up to me. And I'm absolutely certain that my taste in music are not the same as his, okay? The reason I'm certain is because I'm a human being therefore limited, he's God, he is not. That's it, I love it, to pull this out and say, well, you know, if you don't like new songs, you're not gonna like heaven. Completely out of context, uh, but a lot of fun. So there you are. Um, what's going on? John's having a real hard time describing it, frankly, because it's like waters and it's like thunder, which was kind of a first century way of saying super loud, since they didn't have amps and bombs um it is, is really loud but then he describes it as just a whole lot of harps now in my experience harps aren't loud even a whole lot of harps but i have the feeling he's just trying to describe a noise that he's hearing and it could be like a box of broken glass bouncing down interminable stairs we would all say, well, that doesn't sound loud. Well, got five or six million of those boxes, maybe it would. And maybe it would remind you of thunder and rushing waters. And it's, whatever it is, it's shorting out his circuits. It is, it's really getting to him. And this song has something really fascinating to contemplate because it's said to be a great song of good news. But then, it unleashes this thing of judgment. How can this be good news when there's judgment? Well, it's good news because this is a very different kind of religion. C.S. Lewis uh, brought that up a lot. And he said, this Christianity is a religion you can't make up because you wouldn't make it up. You, you would be offended by this, think this needs to be a little louder. We can't make this up. And, and it's good news, because Christianity is truly a new song. For example, uh, Allah requires that your sons die for him. God sends his son to die for you. That's different. All of the gods that our superheroes are based upon, and I don't watch superhero movies because physics, but you know, you'll have Thor, and you'll have Loki, and you'll have those for the Nordic gods, and the Roman gods, you'll have you know, Mars and Venus, and um, it, we could go on. 
all of these gods have some things in common, and that is they're not really nice. They don't like us often. And even if they say they do, they're very fickle. They get involved with other gods' wives, which that's problematic. Um, they, they mess up the earth. They pull tricks on human beings. They don't care about us. Uh, they might care for a group, but only if it serves their purposes and then they'll move on. These are awful gods. This is a new song. Christianity is a new song and it's very different from all the others. And this song is being sung and now we find that number. We saw the number in chapter seven and here it is again, 144,000. Now, if you've been tuning in this, this um, entire process, which way, yay you, you've done quite well. Uh, you've already bumped up against 144,000. So let's just talk about it again. Is this some sort of mystical number? Well, our Jehovah's Witness friends um, believed, and still believe that, but they believed it in a different way. When Charles Russell and Judge Rutherford were in charge of it, um, and neither of them were scholars and neither of them were really good with Greek or Hebrew, but they thought they were and they came up with a lot of wrong ideas. Um, and again, not making fun of Jehovah's Witnesses, all of us have made some really bad mistakes. All of us have. But for the longest time, they, they would go around saying only 144,000 get to go to heaven. Well, then they started growing and they, they, they grew into the millions. Um, not a lot of millions, just a couple of millions. And they had to change that. So they said, um, God saved people are in two classes. The 144,000, the good, the elite, those get to go to heaven. The rest of them will be on earth. And you know, bummer for you, you're in the second string. No, um, 144,000, just to remind you, 12 is the number of religion. So you have 12 tribes, you have 12 prophets, you have 12 apostles, and again, it's according how you count them, but that's the way the number is used. So you have 12 times 12 times 1,000 is the Semitic way of saying all the saved, all of them. So it's not an, a, an actual ordinal number. It is a, it's a representation. All of us who are saved are up there. Um, right, and by the way, in chapter seven, they're being sealed, getting ready for persecution. Here, they're in the throne room of God, which would indicate that maybe they've already been martyred, they've already been witnessed for God, or it could be that that's coming, because remember, Hebrews 12, we are there and we are here, and we are now and we are then because that's the way God works. He's not bound by physics. So, are they in the throne room with God now? Are they headed there? Is it a metaphysical? Unclear. So let's not fight over this, all right? It's just unclear. There's, regardless of all that, there's a good new song being played, even while people are dying. Here's another thing that's new about Christianity. You are saved. And that allows us to face our death in a whole different way. You are saved, not because you are good, but because he is good. Not because what you knew and how great you were at doing the right thing, because of what he decided. 
and what he did, we are saved. There are no other religions like this, none. No wonder then that Christians very often in their different denominations start trying to throw all kinds of extras onto it to make it look like all the other religions where if you don't worship like this, God will kill you. If you're not baptized exactly like this, God will kill you. Oh, you didn't say a certain word before this and now God's going to kill you. No, that's other religions. That's other gods. Our lamb on the throne of Mount Zion has decreed we are saved because of what he did. Deal with it. And that's good news. That's good news. Your salvation's not up to you. It's up to him and he likes you. Okay. Um, now, <clears throat> a very strange comment here. It says um, these guys were virgins and did not defile themselves with women. Oh boy. A lot of people not understanding all the other things are symbolic think, oh, that's literal. We're going to pull one literal thing out of a bunch of symbolic soup. That's going to be quite the trick and it won't go well. So what happened was the deification of virginity. Oh, virginity is very, very, something very, very special. Well, it, it kind of is, but God never intended it to be forever. Now, for some people it is because they never found a partner for others because of physical issues, uh, others because of societal issues. You know, we could play that game. But Jesus Christ himself endorsed marriage and made it plain it was sex was involved. Matthew 19. Just go have a look. Paul endorsed marriage and in no uncertain terms made sure that we understood that sex was part of it. 1 Corinthians 7. Now, first of all, do not slander Paul. I've heard this all my life. People say, well, Paul hated women because he said it's good for a man not to touch a woman. No, he didn't. He said concerning the things which you wrote, and he quotes him, it's good not uh, for a man not to touch a woman. He says, I say to you that every husband have his wife and every wife have her husband. Remember, the books of Corinthians were written in response to things being said in Corinth. They were questions and um, attestations that had been sent to him, and he was correcting them. In that chapter, he even says that as a husband, I no longer own my body. As my wife, she no longer owns her body. It belongs to the other. Uh, it even says we're not allowed to withhold our bodies from the other. The, and then there's that whole Song of Solomon, which is not an allegory of Christ's love for the church. Oh my goodness. It's about sex. He's drinking out of her belly button, people. Come on. Yeah, he's describing the shape and size of her breast, and she's describing other stuff. So, and I know I've just lost a lot of you because you're running to Song of Solomon. Um, you can read that trash later. It's not trash. It's, it, was, it was given to us by God. In fact... If you own a mirror, um, you can get in front of it without your clothes on and see that God actually designed you for at least the possibility of sex. So these guys aren't really holy and special because they never had sex. 
This is all part of standing against the beast. You can't remove the beast from this equation. Beast, there's an S on that. I just didn't want to go beasts. English is a weird language. The sea beast and the land beast, the empire and all those religions. Because you see, <clears throat> in that empire and on that, most of those religions had sex as part of their ceremonies somewhere, somehow. Uh, man with man, woman with woman, men with women. Um, it was it was all done, you know, fertility and fun and drunkenness and alike. These people, these holy people, did not join with the beast. They are virgins. They didn't do that stuff. They stayed in the lanes where God gave us uh, poorly horrible grammar. There, they stayed in the lanes God made. We didn't go participate in all of that. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what if some did? Could they repent? Absolutely. Because when we believe, it is credited to us as righteousness. Love is able to overlook. Love hides, overlooks, covers a lot of sins. And when God saves us, he saves us to the uttermost. So, the 144,000 eh, martyred and virgined, um, doesn't mean what we say when we mean that, or what we mean when we say that. Instead, um, I get, I'm getting verbal dyslexia, so I hope that you can play, the, play this backwards and understand what I'm saying. These people are, um, are clean, good people because they followed Jesus Christ. Not because they did it perfectly, but because he did it perfectly and he saves us. Well, you got a lot to read now. You ready to go from verses 6 to verse 20? Here we go. <laughs> I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the gos eternal gospel, good news again, to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Notice that God never divides us by race. Um, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Again, good news, judgments come. Okay, we'll get to that. Um, Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. That's, that's just well phrased. I think we have to step back here and say that's good writing. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, remember the beast, and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, it it's just means that they acted like the beast. They got approval of the beast. They were part of the beast system. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. we got a ways to go yet. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. It's not a commentary, it's right there. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit. 
they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. All right, I said I was going to go to verse 20. Let's stop. Let's stop from it. Again, judgment is good news. That's, um, it's hard for us to deal with, especially with some of the pictures here. Because if you read this with 21st century eyes, it's really easy to mis mistake what's going on and to think that these are human beings being thrown into a sulfurous pit and that the Lamb of God sitting there on the throne being entertained by this burning sulfur. No, no. Systems that stand against God, systems that are built on evil, staffed by evil people, for evil purposes, to create evil upon the planet so that they can benefit by the evil they unleash. Eventually, get eaten up by that very evil. The very system they put in place comes after them. And it's a, it's a terrifying thing. Think about the reality of God coming in judgment against systems that declare themselves God. Our world is becoming very increasingly atheistic, especially here in the United States. Um, other nations are much more atheistic than we are, especially Western Europe, but we used to be super religious and now we're realizing that's going away at a rapid speed. So it's easier to see it in America than in some places. What's replacing it? Well, fervor about the planet. Um, again, we recycle. We agree that we should be good stewards of the planet. But some people have turned that into their reason to live. Other people have um, turned politics into their reason to live or Justice in this one, you know, justice for women, just racial justice, one of these little niches, without realizing God's concerned about all of these things. Uh, they, they lose track of God. But any political system that rises up and says, you don't need God. I'll be your God. I got your God right here. That's, that's going to get it when God comes after it he didn't like the competition. Now what starts here, by the way, will get a whole lot plainer in chapters 17 and 18. So hold on, you know, keep your powder dry, we'll get through this. The fall of Rome and its systems would be brutal and it would be terrible, but it was still good news. It was still gospel. Those who stored up evil and benefited from evil are now going to be the victims of the very evil they once called good. They dealt this, they created this. The system they created to crush others will now crush them. The tramping of the vineyards of the where the grapes of wrath are stored. You got that right here. Uh, also got it from Isaiah 62, but right here. Uh, that whole thing of, he's gonna make you drink it. You made it, you drink it. Uh, this is pretty terrible stuff here actually. When the system falls, it's going to crush them into oblivion. This is not a view of hell. This is not an eternal torture pit where God's going to look at the guy that screwed you over on a business deal, burn forever, and go, ha, 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 he deserved it. 
and the angels all gathering around going, you know, hoorah, no, um, no. And for those who think, well, this is that, this is, a, this is hell because it's like that eternal burning trash pit outside of Israel where we get our word Gehenna from. That's a myth. And I'm sorry, it's been taught as truth for so long. It's in so many books and so many sermons. It's gonna take a long time to get that out. But there are so many myths that have been taught for so long. For example, the high priest myth that, that one time a year when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to have a rope around his legs so that if he died, they could pull him out, a medieval myth. Or the, um, the entryway into the walls of a city for a camel was very low, and they call that the eye of the needles. So you had to get the camel all the way down and drag him through on the knees. Complete myth. Never happened. Be very careful. That whole Gehenna thing, most of those stories are sourced long after Scripture and not sourced in history. So what are we looking at? We're looking at the fall of cities, kingdoms, systems. It, it was all too common back in those days for a traveler who needed to sell their wares, uh, perhaps a merchant, is moving toward a city. And before they get there, they see smoke going up. And that village is gone or that city is gone. And now lawlessness, and here you are with stuff. You've just become not a merchant, but a target. The smoke going up. What, what about sulfur? Well, sulfur stinks for one, and so that's one reason it's used here. But sulfur is also, uh, was also used as, um, as a weapon. They would create a burning sulfurous mass. There was even something called Greek fire, which we still don't know exactly how they made that, that uh, they fired it and it was, it was like a napalm and that it stuck and burned and watered it and put it out. Well, they would use sulfur and mixes to fire in because of the stench and because sulfur burns a lot easier than you might think. And so the sulfur of a burning town was something everybody who read this book, everybody heard this book, would have understood. And Christians had to flee their homes. They had to get out of there. But here's the thing, they'd already been having to do it, and now it's the Romans that are having to flee. It's the Roman people that are having to scatter. And where do you go when your entire world is the Roman Empire? Where do you go when it crashes? So what they dealt to the Christians is coming back. What they sowed, now they're going to reap, to use another biblical phrase. By the way, as angels with harps and there's Jesus on a cloud here, we haven't looked at that yet, let's do that. Verse 14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and cried in a loud voice to him that was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the, on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. That phrase, the earth was harvested, gets to me, frankly. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle 
Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and cried in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and as he gathered his grapes and threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Exactly where they got that song from. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. By the way, angels with harps, Jesus on a cloud, that's where we get those little cartoony ideas that heaven is us in robes with a harp standing on a cloud. And as much as I think playing harps are fine, um, I think after the first two or 300 years of harp concerts, you might even like an accordion to break in. It might get that desperate. A harmonica, the horror. No, the harps are a symbol of the noise. The cloud just means he's coming. You're not gonna be able to stop him. Because if he comes by river, you can dam a river. You can bring your own navy out. You can shoot people from the sides of the river. If they come from the ocean, same thing. If they come on land, so many options. If they come from the air, what you gonna do? All right, guys, go get him. Doesn't work. So Jesus moving from the, the clouds just means there's nothing. There's nothing Rome can do to stop this. It's been decided. The earth was harvested. God made a decision. Um, this is, um, by the way, all of this is an active, boring, uh, an active um, battle scene, not a boring cloud scene. So that's not heaven. Um, angels are shown here being agents of God's wrath and judgment and with the sickle here and the sorting and burning. But that's also in Matthew 13. Yeah, it's another chapter you may want to look at after this is over, which we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, in Matthew 13, there is the, uh, the wheat and tares, and God says, no, you don't sort that. On harvest day, the angels will sort what is crop and what should be burned. Still in Matthew 13, the, the parable of the dragnet, where the net goes out and pulls in every kind of creature that lives in the sea, and it's the angels that sort out which fish are in the kingdom and which fish are not. So human beings never have that right. We'd never have that obligation. And in fact, it is sinful for me to even consider whether a person who believes that or goes over there is going to be saved or not. We used to be very arrogant about that. We would say, well, no, I, you know, the people would say, my, my, my mother was not baptized and she's dead. Are you saying she's in hell? We would say, no, it's never up to us to make that decision. But inside, we were 100%. Yeah, she's in hell. And that was wrong. It was just wrong. It was sinful. We don't make those calls. Instead, we just say, you know, I trust God's goodness, grace, and love. Even if you got it wrong, I trust that his love is greater than anything we're going to do to upset him. So let's just follow him and trust him. Let the angels sort out who really belongs where. And I got news for you. A lot more people are going to be saved than you think because God is love. We'll talk about that another time. 
we may do a whole series on hell for our midweek Bible classes. <laughs> That'll be fun. Um, that'll be fun. Another troublesome passage here, and then we'll wrap it up, is the blood. There's a lot of blood. Blood up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. That's about 300 kilometers, about 180 miles. Um, that, that's a lot. But first of all, symbolic, metaphoric, placed in signs, and hyperbole. All right. All of that is part of this book. Don't grab that one and go, that's a lot of blood, without realizing that's a symbol for something else. <laughs> and what is that symbol for? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible for the people that stood against God. And the people there, I don't mean Bob the Roman. I mean the Romans. I mean the Greeks. I mean the Egyptians. I mean anybody who stood up against God. Those nations are in trouble. And there's going to be a lot of pain. And we, we saw it. The fall of Rome didn't take place all at once. There were several captures of the city of Rome. There were several sacking of Rome. The, you know, the Visigoths, the barbarians, you know, they just kept coming, 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 coming. And eventually, Rome is a nice city in Italy, a nation that didn't exist until... 1861, I believe, is whenever Italy was created out of a bunch of little kingdomettes. Um, and Rome's a city in it, but it's not what it was. You don't go to Rome to see new stuff, powerful stuff. You go to see the ruins of something that just went down pretty hard. Keep that in mind. So, Go to Isaiah, I said 62 a while ago, 63, Isaiah 63 for the imagery where he gets this first six, eight verses. Uh, that's pretty much all he borrows there. We now are going to look, uh, going to move next week to seven plagues uh, setting up the bowls of God's wrath poured out upon Rome. For the first part of the book, the Christians were told you're going to be hurt. You're going to be hurt. It's going to be awful but God's got this. Now we see a lamb, and we're going, what, a lamb? Now you're going to see what a lamb can do. Got an idea, starting in chapter 14, but this is going to roll through chapter 18, and then, oh my goodness, you got to be here for 19 and 4, all right? Uh, if you're watching this uh, as, as it's being posted, thank you for being part of our safe harbor. You can get information by going to www.oursafeharbor.com. Um, we spell it the American way. There's no U in harbor. Save the vowels. We also, um, you can, if you have questions, if you'd like to be a member of our church, you just send your contact information to info at oursafeharbor.com. This is all put forward freely. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That is also free. And share all this on social media. People need to get some scripture in their heads. It doesn't scare them half to death. How's that? All right. God bless and have a great and blessed new year. I'm, first year, first year that I'm actually going, for, for many, I'm actually going to stay up till midnight this year because I want to see 2020 die. Join me. We're going to do two chapters in our